I'm going to start with a question on this New Year's Day. Uh, several questions throughout the day, but here's the first one. Uh, if I had to ask you to describe what is attitude, what is attitude? What would you say? Uh, a lot of people have comments and thoughts about this, but some refer to it as a form or, or kind of a frame of mind that you just approach life with uh, overall. Someone has called it the general disposition that you display to other people. Other people refer to it as the inner demeanor that has a way of finding expression in your outward behavior and words. I want you to think right now as we start today about a family member, a neighbor, a boss, someone who has an attitude of some kind, be it positive or negative. You know, we usually can think of at least one or two people that have a certain kind of attitude, and when we see or think of them, we, we put a descriptor in front of it. We put a word in front of that attitude. In fact, I'd like to hear from you this morning, okay, kind of wake you up a little bit. Don't point at the person next to you and, or anything like that, but... I want you to just kind of throw out to me, just verbally here, what are some attitudes that you notice uh, in the people that are in your life? Just throw out a few of them to me. Positive. Okay, that's good. Negative. Okay. Okay. Um, what's that? Christ-like. Good. Anybody else? What is that? Giving. Giving attitude. A lot of different things. We could kind of like keep popcorning these all morning long. But here's the question. If someone were to come up here and put a descriptor in front of your attitude, in other words, what attitude you carry around with you most of the time, what would it be? Hmm. Interesting. There's a note card today in your seat. I want you, if you would, to take that out. And I'd like you to take a moment. Take about 30 seconds with a pen or pencil, crayon, whatever you have on you. And I want you to think about 2016. I want you to think about the word, the descriptor, that if someone had to describe your attitude, what do you think they would choose? Now, there could be a lot of them, obviously. But what do you think they would do? Now, if you handed this card to your neighbor, I'm pretty sure they could fill it out for you probably. But this is your assignment. What is the word, the descriptive word, that would describe your overall attitude this past year? I want you to hold on to it. Write it down and hold on to it for a second. Here's a second question. How important is attitude, do you think? I mean, like on a scale of 1 to 10... How important is your personal attitude toward life and people? Let me put it this way. Let's say you own a company. And you had a person with great skill level, super aptitude, but a terrible attitude. Which one would you rather have? If you had someone who had great intellect, great, uh, a great mind, but a horrible attitude... Or if you had someone who was extremely attractive and beautiful, but had a real poor attitude. You know, it's really interesting how important attitude is. A poor attitude can really destroy a marriage, a family, a company, even a church. But on the other side, a positive, an optimistic, a can-do attitude can actually build all those things. I have a pastor friend of mine. He starts every year in his church exactly the same way. 
he has a sermon entitled, Attitude is Everything. And at the end of the message, it's quite predictable because he's done this for several years and he's been there. He has his congregation stand and at the end of it he says, everybody here listen up. We have no idea what this year is going to hold. It could be great prosperity or it could be nonstop adversity. We don't know what's coming and we can't control what's coming, but we can't control our reaction to it. And he asks his church every year to make a pledge for an optimistic, hope-filled attitude for the year. It's very important. And it leads me to one other question. Is it possible for people to change their attitude? What do you think about that? If you wind up through whatever set of circumstances with a negative, sour, ungrateful attitude, can you really do anything about it? Let's vote on this. How many of you would say that you have the power as a human being to do that? Give me a thumbs up. Okay. Anybody think that that's really not in your control, that you can't do it? Good. Well, we may have one with a bad attitude. <laughs> Is it possible? Listen to what one author writes says, the remarkable thing is we have a choice every day regarding the attitude that we embrace for that day. We can't change the past. We can't change the fact that people will act in a certain way. We can't change the inevitable. The only thing we can do is to play on the one string we have, and that is our attitude. I'm convinced, he says, that life is 10% what happens to me and 90% how I react to it. So it is with you. And he ends it by saying, we are in charge of our attitude. That's what we're going to talk about for just a few minutes here. I really believe that this is the primary difference maker in people who tend to be joyful, contented, and grateful people versus people who are complaining, discontented, and ungrateful. Let me tell you, there's a lot of things going to happen in 2017. A lot of things that we will not be in control of. We will not be able to control the stock market this year. We will not be able to control what a newly elected president does. You're not going to be able to control whether your spouse finally changes into that perfect person that you thought you married a long time ago. You will not be able to control or even predict what will happen to you. But I promise you, you can control your attitude. I want you to understand how important this is to God. Now, we don't have time to look at all of Scripture here, but I'm going to focus on really what I consider to be the primary attitude killer in our culture today. The Bible speaks to it on more than one occasion. And I think it really does lead to a bad attitude in life. And I'm going to explain it by way of a parable. Let's imagine today, this is just our imagination, that you're out in the lobby after church and you see on a table some dolls for sale. Imagine in this parable that Oasis makes its own dolls and sells them. And imagine, just for illustration's sake, that this particular Sunday there's little Robbie Waddell dolls for sale. <laughs> and they come with their own little bow tie. And when you pull the cord in the back, they spout this endless stream of Bible facts. <laughs> he just keeps going and going and going. And your kid, your daughter, let's say, sees that little doll and says, Would you buy this for me? I've got to have the Robbie doll. I cannot live without the Robbie doll. 
and you tell them, no, I'm sorry, honey, it costs a little bit too much money and we haven't budgeted for it. I'm not going to be able to get that doll for you. And your daughter just kind of persists and says, but you don't understand. I got to have it. I want it more than I've wanted anything in my entire life. And if you get that doll for me, mom and dad, I will never ask for anything again. In fact, I will be grateful until the day I die if I can just have the Robbie doll. So you buy the doll. And it works exactly like your daughter said. Your daughter grows up to be a joyful, contented, grateful person. She gets married and marries an absolute louse of a husband. He abandons her with three small children. The children grow up to be huge disappointments. They run away to California and they leave her by herself. When she's an old woman, Social Security breaks down and she has to live from hand to mouth. But she never complains. You know why? Because she got the doll and it brought her lasting satisfaction. She was a joyful, grateful person to the end of her life. Now let me ask you at the end of this parable, is that the way life works? <laughs> Do little kids work that way? Then the question is, why are little kids so foolish to think that they can be deceived as to think that external circumstances could produce a positive, grateful attitude? I mean, only little kids could be deceived like that, right? You see, what I'm saying to you, it is possible. It is possible for human beings to go their whole life. And they can say, I will be grateful when? If I only had this. Or I will be content if only this would happen. If only then these things take place, then my attitude will change. But you have to choose, friends. You can, be, you can say, I will be grateful when? And you can fill the blank in a million different ways. Or... You can say, I will be grateful now. You can say, I will be content when? And people, a lot of people go through their whole life. Or you can say, you know what? I'm going to be content now. Let's do a little confession here on the first day of the year. I want you to think about this past year. If you've complained or grumbled about anything in particular. Okay? Let's just run through them a little bit. Little categories. If you've complained this past year about money, about your weight, about your in-laws, about your in-laws' money, about your in-laws' weight, <laughs> about traffic, about your health, about possessions, about relationships, about food, about the Bucks' offense, <laughs> anything at all you can think of. How many of you have complained this past year? Boy, you're so honest. Honest people. It's great. Now, here's why it's such a big deal. This is how seriously God takes this. Over in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul is writing a letter to a church. He's wanting them to learn some lessons from the history of the nation of Israel. And he talks about some mistakes that Israel made that he wants them to learn from. Now, I want you to notice four mistakes that he mentions. Four of them. He says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Now these things occurred as examples to us so that we might not desire evil as they did. Here he goes. Do not become idolaters as some of them did. As it's written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Verse 8. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did. And 23,000 fell in a single day. 
He mentions idolatry, then he mentions sexual immorality. Then thirdly, he says, we must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents. In other words, this is kind of like deliberate, willful defiance of God. But then look at verse 10. He says, and do not complain as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now let me get this right. We got idolatry, which sounds pretty serious. We got sexual immorality, which sounds pretty serious. We got willful defiance of God. That sounds really serious. And then at the climax of this list, he mentions the destructive power of complaining, of a bad attitude. It's very interesting here because Paul uses a word here, a word gaguzo. It's actually what in uh, English uh, we call an onomatopoeia. Some of you English teachers out there. And onomatopoeia is a word, we get a name from it because it sounds like what it is. The word sounds like what it really is. And in this case, it sounds like murmuring, complaining. What happens when you develop a poor attitude? Social critic Robert Hughes, he wrote one of the most influential critiques of American culture in the last several years He had a very interesting title for one of his books. He called it The Culture of Complaint. He said, if I had to summarize in a nutshell a word for our society or a phrase, it would be the culture of complaint. We now live in a world where people perceive themselves to be entitled to have all their desires fulfilled or else they accord themselves victim status when it doesn't happen. This forms us in ways that we can't even imagine. So we have to choose. One choice, one option is to do what the Israelites did. And that's go through your whole journey complaining. I'm going to wait for my life to get aligned so I can change my attitude and feel grateful. And the other way, the other way is what scripture teaches. Which says this, that attitude is not the result of external circumstances. It will never be the result of external circumstances. But rather, attitude is the byproduct of a certain kind of character. Let me say that again. Attitude is something that is developed from the inside, a certain kind of character. It will not descend upon you like a dove. And here's one of the primary, primary catalysts of a person whose character remains positive. It is that they live with a constant sense of gratitude toward God. Even, even in the midst of a world that has a lot of bad things happening. They live with a constant sense of gratitude toward God and His goodness for them despite a lot of the badness in our world. Here's what people do who have great attitudes. They see life as an endless stream of gifts from God. They believe that the best of life is around the corner. And because of this, they display an attitude that is really just infectious. And people say, well, come on, Phil, is that really possible? I mean, isn't it just the way I'm wired up? Isn't it just what my parents gave me? Isn't it just the attitude that I got when I was in a certain environment? I mean, don't you think I'm old enough now that it's just, just the way it's going to be? I don't think so. 
So to close here uh, and move toward the end, I want us to consider some questions about this coming year. I'm going to ask you to take these questions seriously, friends. If you really want this year to go as good as it can go, at least an attitude, here's some questions to consider. Here's the first one. You might want to write these down. Who am I going to make responsible for the joy and gratitude factor in my life? This is a key question. Who am I going to make responsible for the joy factor in my life? Now, whether we realize it or not, we answer this question every day. Now, the right answer, of course, is that I'm the one that's got to take responsibility. I can't ask my boss, my neighbor, my spouse, my kids. It's got to be me. And the reason, the ultimate reason, is because life is too short to do anything else. However long or short your life is, friends, it is still too short. And you cannot, you dare not put your joy and your gratitude in the hands of another human being. You have to take responsibility for that. I'll tell you one of my favorite stories about an Old Testament character named David. He has so many great stories. Most people like Goliath, you know, and other people love the stories of Mephibosheth and how he took him in his home. There's so many great stories, but I'll tell you a great story about David. A lot of people don't talk about this. When he was a real young guy, he was leading his troops into battle, and while they were fighting out on one front, some of their enemies came in behind them into their camp, and they took their wives and their kids, and they burned all their belongings, and they took their families and kidnapped them. And when they came back to camp, the men saw that their wives and kids had been taken and they were just distraught. So distraught, in fact, that they contemplated killing David because they blamed it on him. Now let me say this, in, fact, in case you're wondering. It is a sure a sign that your attitude is now bad if you decide you want to kill somebody, okay? <laughs> attitude has gone south, way south. David uh, becomes aware of what they want to do. He isn't sure what to do. He's a young guy. And David does something very smart. He concludes that he doesn't have a lot of experience and he's not in a shape himself to lead anybody. So the scriptures say that he got along by himself. And listen to what it says. This is so beautiful. The writer says, So David went off and he encouraged himself in the Lord his God. David went off and encouraged himself in the Lord his God. What David did was he adjusted his attitude based on what he knew about his God and his God's goodness. He was distraught. He was confused. He was probably a little afraid. But David went off and he got himself squared up with God and squared up with life. And then he came back and he fired up his troops and they went out and they recaptured their family members and brought them home safely. But here's the deal. David took responsibility for his own attitude. I challenge you today to stop pointing a finger at negative, difficult people in your life, whoever they may be. Maybe they live with you. Maybe they live near you. You have to choose. That brings up a second question. When am I going to do it? When am I going to practice gratitude? 
Very interesting. The Bible seems to be pretty clear on this. Paul says, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. In his character, the way that he would do it if he were here in your place. And then he adds a phrase. He says, giving thanks to God the Father through him. We've all heard the 100th Psalm. Enter into his gates. In other words, come into the presence of God, the living presence of God with thanksgiving in your hearts. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians, rejoice always. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ concerning you. The psalmist says in Psalms 118, this is the day that the Lord has made. We shall rejoice and be glad in it. It's very interesting to me. The psalmist does not say, yesterday was a really good day that God made. I was really, really glad yesterday. And the psalmist doesn't say tomorrow is a day the Lord is going to make and it's going to be really awesome. I can't wait till tomorrow gets here. He says today is the day that you have to rejoice. You have to thank God today. Because if it's not this day that God has made, what day will it be? Let me tell you about one of the most grateful people I've ever read about. And it may not strike you the same way it did me. But I read this story many, many years ago. It's always stuck with me. There was a guy named Robert Bennett Hall. He lived into his mid-90s. And when Robert was young, his parents died when he was very young. And they both died uh, at very early ages. And he grew up in an orphanage. What they did in those days, especially, this is now 100 years ago, is they put kids in orphanages. And unfortunately, they were not like today where kids are taken care of. Many of them were beaten. Some of them were even starved. They were mistreated in some very bad ways. So one night when he was 12 years old, Robert waited until it was dark and it was raining. When everyone was asleep, he made a break for it. He ran out of that orphanage into a world where he didn't know a living soul. He hopped on a train. He rode all night. He got off at a town that he had never been to before, found a small family on a small farm, and he spent the rest of his years growing up there. He worked on that farm with that family in exchange for sleeping in their barn. After he became a man, he got a job cleaning a store, and he married the storekeeper's niece. He worked there for a decade or so, and they had six children during that time. In his 30s, kind of like Moses in his life, he had kind of a burning bush experience, and he felt like God was calling him into church ministry to preach. He went home, told his wife, the mother of his six kids. They prayed about it, and that's what they did. He spent the next 60 years of his life in ministry, and he was in little small towns, little small places his entire life. For the early years of his life in ministry, he couldn't afford a car. He went everywhere he went, he would go on horseback. And he would make a record in an account book that he had of his income. Only he never had really much money. What he did put was this. In his book, he would note about some Sunday where he preached somewhere, and the people would give him something just so he could survive. And he would write down the family name of the person that gave it to him, and then he would like to the side of it, he would write two dozen eggs or a chicken. <laughs> Occasionally, if it was a really good Sunday, a pig. <laughs> That's what he lived on. At the end of his life, his wife had died. He had very little, if any, money. He lived with relatives because he didn't have any place else to live. 
And he sent a card to one of his daughters the day before he died. It was Christmas. And she got a card with $10 in it. And he said, I can't do much, sweetie, for Christmas this year, but I wanted you to have something. Now let's look at his life for a second. His parents died, sent to an orphanage, mistreated, ran away when he was 12, grew up in a barn. He got paid with eggs and chickens and pigs. Yet this guy was filled with gratitude, filled with so much joy that even at the end of his life, he's still giving. And the question we have to ask ourselves on this first Sunday of the year is, what in the world are we waiting for? How can we think that someday something or someone is going to come along and make us feel gratitude? Here's the deal. Take a, take a child from a third world country and put them in our life, friends, and they will tell you they will be grateful for the rest of their lives. See, today's the day. Today is the day we practice it. Here's another question. What should I be grateful for? Again, Paul is clear. Give thanks to God the Father at all times and for everything. Now, it doesn't mean we're thankful for sin or we're thankful for tragedy or we're thankful for hard times. What it means is that people who master the art of gratitude learn to experience as a gift from God what other people seem to take for granted. Did you hear what I said? The people who master this gift are the people who learn to experience as a gift from God what everybody else takes for granted in life. They learn to say, hey, life is like a steady stream of gifts. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to try this. We're going to take tomorrow, and we're going to declare tomorrow, January 2nd, which happens to be my mom's birthday. She'll be 39 tomorrow. <laughs> we're going to take tomorrow... As no complaint day. Tomorrow, I want to see how long you can go without complaining. I want to see if we can make it in terms of like the whole day, or hours, or minutes. God help us if it's seconds. <laughs> and just throughout the day, just kind of make tomorrow a day to say today's the day. Tomorrow... Like, give an expression of thanksgiving to somebody. Write a note to somebody. Send an email or a text message. Buy a gift. Or maybe just a small something that says, there's just no reason other than I'm just grateful for you. Eat some food tomorrow that you really enjoy. Everything is a gift. That brings us to the last question. We'll close with this. Some people are sitting here saying, yeah, but Phil, what happens when I'm disappointed in life? What happens when 2017 brings hardship or adversity or disappointment? All I can tell you is that there is a practice in Scripture that we're going to have to learn, and that is we have to learn what is called defiant gratitude. It's found in a kind of a lesser-known book of the Bible called Habakkuk. He's a prophet. And he talks about one time where he's going through something in life, and he's going to decide what his response is going to be in this situation. And this is what he writes in Habakkuk 3, 17. He says, Though the fig tree does not blossom, and no fruit is on the vines, though the produce of the olive fails, and the field yields no food, though the flock is called off from the fold, and there is no herd in the stalls, yet 
I will rejoice in the Lord. Here's the word. Nevertheless, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will exalt in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer and makes to tread upon the heights. (laughs) I'll leave you with this, friends. Gratitude in this world, in this world, will always be gratitude in spite of something. It will always be gratitude in spite of something or someone. Some of you know the story of David Rothenberg. David was just a small boy. When he was burned as a child, he was burned in a fit of rage by his own father. Now you think about this. A father who took kerosene, poured it over this boy's entire room and over his body as he slept and then lit a match. He was burned so badly, some of you remember this story, that 95% of his body was covered with third degree burns. To this day, To this day, David virtually has no skin. Doctors estimate that he will probably in the course of his life have somewhere around 5,000 different operations or procedures. Yet when he was seven years old, seven years old, this is his comment. A little boy with no skin because he was burned by his own father. He said, I'm alive. I'm alive. I didn't miss out on living, and that is wonderful enough for me. I'm alive. I'm alive. I didn't miss out on living, and that's wonderful enough for me. And this is the question today. What's wonderful enough for you? My Father in heaven, I love you. I'm grateful that you've walked with us out of 2016 into this year. We all at times have to step back and we have to really look and examine ourselves, God, in light of your grace and your goodness, your mercy and your compassion. And today that's what we do on this first Sunday of the new year. We look back and we see how faithful you've been and we look forward with hope to know that you're going to walk with us. But right now, this day, we have to examine our attitude. So will you bring to our heart and mind the attitude that you would like to cultivate in us this coming year? We could all just say a positive attitude, but really some of us need more than that, God. We need, we need to develop a way of life, a way of looking at life, a way of living life. So today, by your spirit, may you visit with us. May you conjole us, convict us, and challenge us. To not go through life expecting circumstances to change. But you change us in the midst of those circumstances. I ask that now, as we prepare to come to the table. We prepare to remember what your son did for us so that we can be full of gratitude. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.